0: At, at Eston. Uh, he works for the college there uh, and has been there for several years. Uh, he's a family man, uh, wife Laura, and he's got four girls. Uh, and uh, this morning he's coming to uh, speak to us about um, tech and the family. So can I welcome Josh to come on forward and I'll pray with him as we uh, as we get going here this morning. So welcome, Josh, everybody. Say it. <laughs> Anyway, can I pray for you, Josh, just as as we get started? Uh, Father in heaven, I just want to say we're so grateful to have uh, Josh here in our midst and to just deliver your word to us and to bring uh, some um, thoughtful insights about uh, how to live out our Christian walk uh, in family and with technology. And so I pray that you just help him to do that well. And uh, Father, I pray that for all of us that we would have listening hearts, um, that our minds would be sharp to pay attention, um, that our hearts would be in tune with what your spirit desires, and that we would have the courage uh, in the end uh, to be obedient to what you call us to. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's sure nice to be back in Moose Jaw. When I was going to Briarcrest, I attended this church for three years, and we always thought if we could live somewhere else besides Eston, Moose Jaw would be one of our first picks. It's one of our favorite places in the world. And before I get started, I just want to say your worship team's fantastic. I really, really want to honor them. Yes. I work at the Bible College in Eston, and I'm used to really good worship teams because we have lots of young people who are musically talented, but your team is doing really good, and I understand they practice twice a week, so it's a bit of a sacrifice for them to be doing that and leading us, and so let's, let's be sure to honor them when we have conversations with those on your worship team. It's always easy for guests to say things like that, and so I take my liberties. All right, so Eston College... Uh, Some of you have sent your children to be students at the college, and I just want to say thank you. In fact, Joel, you're in the back row. Um, Haven't I trained you well enough? You should be up here. (laughs) Joel's doing an awesome job. He is serving Christ with all of his heart, and he's a passionate disciple, and I'm glad to be a part of his life. And I've had many of your other students, and I always think the Moose Jaw kids are some of the best students that we get. So you're doing something right here, and I appreciate you for that. I get the job today of maybe being the guy you curse. Uh, because later on when your kids are saying to you, Mom, I just really, really hate that guy. You're always talking about what he said, and the rules that you made are really annoying to me. Can I just have my phone back? Um, or maybe you're the dad of the family, or or the grandma. Uh, One of the things about me is that I fix phones in the little town I live in to support my hobby of working at the Bible college. (laughs) And... there's a lady who's over 70 years old who calls me in great distress. I never met her before. I go over to her place and she's like, I can't get Candy Crush to work. (laughs) I'm like, oh no. It is a crisis. So she's got a tablet and an old laptop, and we're trying to get both of them to work, and neither of them will do the thing she needs to do to get to the next level, level 576. <laughs> if you know Candy Crush, she's like one of the champions of the world, living in Eston, Saskatchewan. Man, the hidden gems in our communities. Uh, So I'm just trying to establish a bit of my credentials to speak to you about technology because who is this Joe Blow coming out of nowhere to talk to us and tell us what to do with our most intimate of devices? I'm Josh and I was born before the internet Yes, and so that means I understand both worlds. I understand what it feels like to be a kid before there was even dial-up Just vaguely Just bare minimum memory of that. I also understand what it's like to grow up with the internet, so I kind of get to be one of those who lives on the digital divide, right bordering both lands. Not just that, I've always loved technology. And so before Apple even knew what a smartwatch was, I was wearing a Pebble watch. I'm an early adapter, you might like to say. I fund Kickstarter projects, I don't know if you know what that is, but one of them I'm looking forward to arriving, hopefully in August, they always seem to be late, but they're these glasses, and built into the arms of the glasses are bone induction headphones. So while I'm walking down the road, listening to audio at two times speed, no one will know that I have headphones on. I'm going to be like a robot In fact, at most times, I have at least three Bluetooth devices on my body, and I'm looking forward to having four. (laughs) I just hope Bluetooth doesn't cause cancer. (laughs) But actually, that's that's an important thing to think about. Do you realize the iPhone is turning 10 this year, and so we're really only entering the bare earliest stages of technology's influence on our lives and on our homes? And so we barely know anything yet about how it affects us. It's still kind of like we're entering just the pre-understanding of what, you know, people are saying to you, don't use blue screens right before bed. It will affect your sleep. You'll throw your circadian cycle off and you won't be able to sleep as well. Things like that. We're just discovering these kinds of things now. And so consequently, what do we know? Whose authority do you have to quote, and one study will be refuted by the next. In fact, the APA, the American Pediatric Association, used to say, you know, no screens for kids under a certain age, and then they're changing their rules. So who do I believe? Believe me. (laughs) So actually, what they're telling us now, here's, here's the rule from the APA, no screens for any kids under 18 months, And then after that, if kids are under six, no screens for more than an hour a day. And then after that, there's a tool they actually have where you can fill in your kid's age and your family details and make a personalized media plan for every member of your family. Because they're saying this to us. Media affects each of us a little bit differently. And so you need to make a personalized plan for every kid and adult we're not excluded in our families. So, I love technology, but I'm not just pro-tech. Like, there's three reasons why I'm not just going to tell you just throw the rules out like the APA has done. Because although they're a bunch of doctors and we probably should be able to trust them, they just changed the rules two years ago, so really, are they trustworthy yet? Maybe. but. You're going to make your own plans regardless of what I tell you to do, aren't you? Because we're addicted to our technology, if we're honest. At least most of us are. And So the three reasons why I care and why I'm going to assault one of the most important parts of your life, your cell phone today, is because I actually think it is making us a little less than human. I don't think you're turning into robots, but there is some fear. Do you agree? Ah, you're not on my side yet. I'll go back on the stage. (laughs) All right, here's the three reasons why I care so much about this issue. Like I said, I grew up pre-internet. Do you realize that the average kid spends less than eight minutes outside a day? I think there might be a problem with that, even if it just has to do with vitamin D. Um, another, Another issue I have is that I work with college students. And so if you've been to Aston College, we have this student lounge and there's a horseshoe of benches and students will sit around in the horseshoe and when I was a student, you'd come into that area and if people were bowed, they were praying. Now when you come into the area and you see students in the horseshoe, they're not praying. They're all on their cell phones. Uh, One of the scholars that I like on technology, she, she says it's like We're alone together, together alone. Remote intimacy. I mean, there's all kinds of language that's being used to describe what's happening to us. But because I work with college students and because I went to Eston College before the cell phone was too expensive, you know, for the average student to have one, I've seen a very big difference in students' way of being in the world. So, I I care. I care how we use these tools. Third reason is, I have four girls, and the oldest is six. And she reacts to technology, particularly screens, in a way that shows great interest, and afterwards, she's very grumpy and cranky. And I know not every kid is like that, but because she's our oldest, we severely limit screen time because we just can't handle how cranky she gets afterwards. So I don't know if you have any kids like that in your family. But I actually think what would happen if I kept giving her screen time is that eventually that would stop happening and she'd just be permanently grumpy. Maybe you're wondering about your kid right now. Okay. So as we proceed through the message I've prepared for you, I just want to give you some updated stats about how often people are using their cell phones. You won't believe this, and part of you might scoff. Yeah, right, anyone could use their cell phone that much. I don't know, have you looked around lately? Um, So here's here's the stats. On average, you will check your phone 4.3 minutes, at 4.3 minute intervals. Just to see the time, maybe, or just to see if you missed any alerts. Really? That means some people are checking it more frequently, and some people are checking it less frequently. So where do you fit on that scale? If you're a 4.3-minuter, what does that mean? That means you check your phone 200 times per day. What else do you use 200 times per day? These tools are becoming a very important part of our lives. Some people call them like a phantom limb. If you lose it, it feels like part of your body's gone. And it's always funny, right? A customer brings their phone to the door. How long is it going to (laughs) take? About two days. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. 45 minutes. (laughs) This means if you use your phone 200 times a day, that adds up to 81,000 times per year. Uh, When you add up all those minutes, that gets you to 23 days per year of just staring at your phone. And you know our posture is being affected now. A lot of people are walking around like hunchbacks, and it's becoming normal for college students to already have a hunchback at age 18. There was a project on Kickstarter to correct your posture. I didn't invest in it, but thought maybe it would be a wise idea. Uh, So if you add up 23 days a year over the course of your lifetime, that means you'll spend four years on your cell phone. Next time you pull it out, think, is this a way I want to spend part of my life, my four years of life. And you're going to say to yourself, yes, it is. Because <laughs> why? Because it is so fun. It is so immediately rewarding, right? So is this all a problem? That depends. I think we need a humor break. So I have a video that I'd like to show you. Can you hit that bend for us?
0: It is maddening for everyone else. It is an epidemic, texting while walking.
1: So doctors will tell you that people will arrive in the emergency room, but they won't admit what happened to them. They'll say, I got hit by a cyclist, but they won't say, I was also texting and got hit by a cyclist. And most of you, I don't know, could we do a quick poll? Is anyone in that camp? Have you fallen downstairs or walked into a door while texting? Is this a problem or is this just something that happens to other people? Anyway, the way that some people are using their cell phones, it almost makes you feel like they're observing some sort of religious command. Like, you know when Jesus said, you are the light of the world, neither do people put a lamp under a bowl, you know, the famous passage in Matthew 5. Um, And we have a little song, right? So I feel like it could be rewritten for this time. This little screen of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Everybody know this little screen of mine. I'm going to let it shine. And it just feels like everyone, oh, you know, I'm just at the parking uh, lot out here at Superstore and look over, and sure enough, there's a guy walking across that busy, busy intersection just, and you know, then he realizes the light's turning red, and he's running now. Oh, well, it's no harm till you fall down the stairs. You can scoff inside your mind. You might think, I'm not like that. (sighs) That's what every addict says. So, (laughs) anyway, are you scoffing inside your mind right now? Are you uh, with me? Are you wishing you hadn't come to church this morning? Because, like I said, I want to assault the most personal part of your life, the thing you spend the most time with. Um, Sometimes, you know, I feel like the idle polisher and fixer-upper when people bring me their phones, and the way they talk about them. oh, It's what makes my kid happy, so i got to pay it again. Well, good for my business. Sorry you didn't get a case for your kid's phone. <laughs> anyway, so we kind of made a joke of Scripture, which you shouldn't do, with Matthew 5. That's not what Jesus was talking about. This little screen of mine. But do you ever wish that Jesus had actually given us specific advice about how to use our cell phones? And then I could preach with more authority to you? I could say, according to the book of First Hesitations, thou shall not use your cell phone for more than 21 days a year. And then we have certainty. Okay, I'm within the boundaries of what is appropriate for a human being when it comes to cell phone use. And do you ever feel like man, I wish the Bible would just give me more specific advice about modern problems. Like, come on, is this is an old book, how am I supposed to understand its relationship to my cell phone use? And because it doesn't give us specific advice about things like technology, a lot of times, this is how Christians respond. Maybe your parents were like this. When you know, movies started becoming a big thing when I was a kid. You could go to the movie store, and, and I don't think movie stores exist anymore, really. You could go to the movie store, and the question was not, "Is it good for Christians to watch a lot of movies?" The question was, "Is the content in this movie good or bad?" And so we don't think about the tool; we think about the content. Is the tool a problem? Well, I'd like to talk more about that. But normally we just think, okay, is the content in the movie good or bad? We don't ask this question. Is watching a movie going to make me the sort of person I want to become? Because what we've come to believe is that the tool is neutral, that what we're doing is not the problem, it's the content that's coming into our mind that's the problem. But I want to argue today that the tool not neutral. The tool is not neutral. And why? Well, media scholars say it like this. I'm kind of stomping my foot in preparation for this. To a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Have you ever heard that one? To a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail. What does that mean? Well, let's try and apply it to other domains. So, to a man with a car, everything looks like a racetrack. To a kid with a cell phone, everything looks like a selfie. Uh, Does the tool shape our behavior? You better believe it does. Okay, so then how can we take that lesson and apply it? Here's the thing, we can't until we understand what does the tool do to us. So what does the cell phone do to me? I want, to, I want to wrestle with that issue, because before we can do anything wise, we need to understand, what is the tool doing to me? Let's go there. Now, some of you are like, oh, I hate this, because technology is neutral. It, you know, a gun, it's not the gun that's dangerous. Guns don't pill, kill people. People kill people. You've heard that, right? But let me tell you this, a gun makes it a lot easier to kill somebody, I don't know if you ever tried to kill someone without a... Maybe I shouldn't finish that thought. <laughs> Do you see, though? New technologies make new things possible and therefore affect my view of the world differently. Do you realize, like, when it comes to your cell phone, what does it empower? There's three big O's about God, right? If you've ever studied theology, there's three big things that make him God and make us not God. One of them is that God is omnipresent, With my cell phone, I feel like I can FaceTime my folks in Slave Lake, Alberta, and be present with them, even though I'm not. So it takes down distance. It makes me feel like I can be omnipresent. Similarly, with knowledge, if I don't know something, I can be omniscient, which means God is all-knowing. Within a second, I can look up on Google anything I need to know, and I have the feeling of omniscience. Omnipresent, omniscience, omnipotent is the last one, which means all-powerful. And God is all-powerful, I am not, but when I have a cell phone, I can make things happen so quickly. I can text a group of 20 people and have a party at my house tonight, and you know how long that used to take? Everything feels easier. I can ship anything from China, and it's there within, well, it depends what shipping service you use. When my customer needs it, it's there in two months. When they don't need it, it's there next week. You know what I'm talking about. So with the three O's in mind, is it any wonder that any of us are addicted to these things? This is like the ring in Lord of the Rings. It gives me superpowers. Why wouldn't I want to be addicted to it? Is it making sense? Are you scoffing inside? Kind of quiet today. All right. So let let me push you a step further. Let's talk about those who make these machines for us. I mean we don't live in Silicon Valley so you probably don't know any of these people maybe your kid has moved down there and they're an engineer working for Facebook or something but can I put it to you this bluntly no other tool is designed to be as addictive as this tool have you heard of nomophobia it's no mobile phobia it's a it's the fear of being without your cell phone could we apply that same logic to other tools Like, have you ever heard of a carpenter with no-drill phobia? What other tool is like this tool? Um, Kid without their toothbrush, no-toothbrush phobia. I think my girls would love that fear. So just substitute, what's the main tool you use in your occupation, in your life? Would you be totally disoriented and full of anxiety if you lost that tool? If your tool is a cell phone or a computer, yes. If it's anything else, it's almost easily replaceable. Maybe not if you're a dentist, I don't know. Anyway, I process, I'm a verbal processor, so you just got to hang in there as things come to me. So as we're talking about these tools, here is a quote from an ex-Facebook employee, Jeffrey Hammerbacker. He says, The best minds of my generation are thinking about how to make People click ads, and I like to rephrase this, the best minds of my generation, those who are in the prime of their occupation, who are spending 12 hours a day at the office, sometimes more, are spending their lives right now making sure that you stay in a particular app for 10 more seconds, make it level 576, is attainable, you can do it too. Um, that feeling of, oh, this app is so enjoyable, I just don't want the user to leave so that we can feed them more ads. Now, do you understand what drives this? Here's a book that I recommend to anyone who cares about history, theology, religion, um, politics, um, almost any field, really. It's called The Attention Merchants, and it's a history of attention. Do you realize the Bible commands us to pay attention 24-7 to God. Paul says, pray without ceasing. So, God wants to monopolize my attention. He wants to have all of my attention. Do you realize Facebook would like to have all of your attention, too? So, too, would whatever app, your favorite app. Attention is said to be power. In fact, they're not even saying you know, sometimes we go through new shifts in economy, like in economic thinking. What's, what's the driving force of these major companies like Apple, Facebook, whichever tech giant you want to name? Attention is said to be the new currency. This is what drives these companies. So eyeballs are the currency we trade in. Don't take that too literally. It would be gross. So Bruce Schneier says this. Don't make the mistake of thinking you're Facebook's customer, you're not, you're the product. So another way this is often said is on the internet, if you get something for free, you're not the customer, you're the product. You are what's being bought and sold. And the more of your time that I can suck in, the more I can sell you and trade you. That makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes, though, I'll buy ads on Facebook for the college. And I can choose what target audience do I want to advertise to. Has anyone else ever done that? You know what I'm talking about? So you can choose very specific niches. So I can advertise to uh, young people within the age of, say, 14 to 21 in Saskatchewan, southern Saskatchewan if I want. In fact, a 1,000-kilometer radius outside of Eston. Then I can choose uh, their religion. I can choose all kinds of things about them. What am I buying and trading? I'm buying and trading your attention. That you'll see my ad. When you use Facebook, that's what's happening. You're participating in the new global attention economy. That's fine and dandy, right? We like getting it for free. Who would want to pay for Facebook? Well, the advertisers pay for Facebook, not us. So, last question. What, what is the cell phone doing to us? Um, just try to answer this question in your mind. What other industry calls its customers users? If you don't know the answer to that, I would say like the illegal drug industry. (laughs) So I think, finally, Christians are starting to come at the problem or the predicament of technology in a more wise fashion. Instead of saying, is the content good or bad, is the thing I'm looking at on Facebook good or bad, instead they're saying, what is the tool, because the tool's not neutral, what is the tool doing to me? So a recent book called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You, forward by John Piper, maybe you've heard his name before. It's a really good book. It illustrates as you go through each kind of way the phone is changing us, posture-wise, sleep-wise, and then all the kind of things you'd assume, right? Social-wise, etc. Is the tool neutral? We want to believe it's neutral because that's so much easier. But is the right question actually, what does using this tool do to me? What does the u- using the tool do to me? All right, so I want to take you to Scripture now. Romans 12, 1 and 2, probably underlined in most of your Bibles, In fact, I borrowed a Bible this morning because, well, I use my Bible on my phone, right? But when you preach, you should have a Bible on stage with you. So I borrowed a Bible from my friend whom I was staying with. And of course, not surprising, she has Romans 12, 1 and 2 underlined. As I expect you do if you have a Bible. Oh, snap. Okay. So, Romans 12, 1. Therefore... In view of God's mercy, and the other thing is, kids don't memorize scripture anymore because why would you bother, right? Because it's always with you in your pocket. So therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. What's a living sacrifice? It's a paradox, right? There's no such thing as a sacrifice that's dead that's also alive. How is this possible? Is Paul talking about vampires or zombies or something? It almost sounds like it. The point is, in the Old Testament, they offered dead sacrifices. Now, Jesus doesn't just want part of your life. You don't just give him a portion of of what you have. You give him everything. So your whole life is a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. And what's the problem with living sacrifices? They're always trying to wiggle off the altar. We don't like to be living sacrifices. We don't like to give up all of our control to the Lord. Now, jumping to Romans 12, too. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. What does that word conform mean? In Greek, this is a really interesting word. It literally is an active kind of thing. It's something that's squeezing or pushing or molding you, like the picture of the hand squeezing the Play-Doh. What is happening to us when we are using the patterns of this world? We are actively being shaped by them. And in that light, what kind of pattern is the cell phone trying to conform me into? What does using the tool do to me is the question I want you to think through. So, what does it do to me? If you're like me, you battle between the phone being your servant and it being your master. You know, when I was a kid, a push notification was a doorbell. Now, I mean, I feel like I'm shackled to it, but I love it at the same time because sometimes it's my servant and sometimes it's my master. Do you relate? Do you feel that tension? You pick it up to check uh, an alert. It's an important text from your spouse or something. And then afterwards, you're, you find yourself playing a game that you didn't even know or you're watching a YouTube video and, and you're ignoring your kids. It, it starts as servant and it turns into Master so quickly and the other thing you know this we're maybe not as bad as those in the usa but north american people we like to feel like we're important we like to feel like our lives have significance you ever see that comedy sketch where that comedian's talking about how he's driving down the road and feels lonely and tired and depressed he's not a christian We would turn to Christ, I hope, and pray and ask for significance to fill our hearts. But he says, I pull off on the side of the road and I text like 40 people to fill that void in my heart and hope one of them will respond so that I don't feel alone. We like it being interrupted. We like feeling busy. We like having people ask us questions. You might not admit it, but I think at the bottom of most of our hearts, we like to feel like we're important. Fair? Here's a quote from a Christian scholar I like, he says, we want to complexify our lives. We don't have to. (laughs) Just got a buzz, no. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have to, we want to. Is he right? The bottom of our hearts, do we actually want these masters? Because they're hard to keep as servant. We want to be harried and hassled and busy unconsciously. We want the very thing we complain about. Isn't he right? How's it going? Oh, I'm so busy. Yeah, but you like it. Right? You want to have something happening in your life. Because Blaise Pascal, another Christian, um, he said, the main problem with most people is that they can't sit alone in their room for an hour. And he lived long before the internet. (laughs) So there might be some wisdom there. Have you noticed you're out for supper or something with a friend? and they go to the bathroom, what's your instinct? Just I don't know, just look at eBay or text someone or play Candy Crush. You know. Um, As soon as we have... um, uh, Actually, let me just put it to you as bluntly as I can. They did a study one time to swipe for fecal matter on phones, and 9 out of 10 have them. Because even in the bathroom, we use... In fact, a guy who worked at Apple told me, that most of the cell phone repairs they do are because the person has dropped it in the toilet. I always get disgusted. People will bring it to me, it has water damage. I'm like, it has water damage? (laughs) (laughs) All right, so what's the solution? If we don't want to be conformed any longer into the pattern of this world, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds be transformed in Greek, that comes from metamorphos, which, of course, is why I got the sweet chrysalis, which I just learned from my kindergartner. And the butterflies emerging, right? This is not something, see, we can easily be conformed. It doesn't take any effort or energy to be conformed into a pattern, but it takes some kind of power to renew us. Have you ever noticed how much the Bible loves rewords? Redeem. Can you think of more? reconcile, redemption, renew, resurrection. You see, God's in the business of taking you and reshaping you, making you like he first intended before there was sin in the world, before there was addiction, and before there were problems. That's what God wants, a new humanity, people who will be so full of life and so excited to see other people that their first instinct isn't to put a wall up. So, what does it mean? How, how do I get renewed? The only other time Paul uses the word renew is in Corinthians, and in that passage, he talks about the Holy Spirit. Renewing, therefore, is not something we can do. Just, I can't just renew myself. It's like, you know how the works of the sinful nature are obvious, and then he lists all the bad sins? But then he says, the fruit of the Spirit? See, I I can do acts of the sinful nature. I can conform myself to the pattern of the world, but I can't renew myself. I can't grow fruit. Only God can do that inside of me. So how do we provide God the space to renew us so we won't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world? Okay, Paul. Again, I wish you just said, here's a list of rules. Tell me what to do so I can renew my mind. And then we'll be golden. But but you see, Christianity doesn't work that way. Instead, it's work out your salvation with fear and trembling. In fact, it's one of the best things about Christianity is that we don't have a list of rules. It's love your neighbor, love God. How do we do that? You get to work it out with fear and trembling. It's supposed to be in conjunction with God who's working in you. So how do we do it? It doesn't give us a list of rules. But, you know, when you take the whole Bible in hand and you start to realize, here's what we can do. Think back to 1 Kings 19. Some of you are wondering, First oh, 1 Kings. Oh, I don't have my Google with me. <laughs> 1 Kings. So 1 Kings 19, Elijah, and there's the mountain, and God is going to talk to him. Do you know what I'm talking about? And then there's this great wind, and it tears up the mountain. And it says, God was not in the wind. And then there's a great earthquake, and the ground shakes. It says, God was not in the earthquake. And then, after that, there's a great fire. And it says, God was not in the fire. Finally, still, quiet, there's a whisper. It says, God was in the whisper. So have you noticed this? God doesn't usually yell at me. He doesn't usually text me. He's never sent me a YouTube video. I mean, I've, I've noticed things about God in YouTube videos, but never directly from him. I've never had a FaceTime from, well, you could maybe argue that. Was Jesus God's FaceTime to us? And you're the only Bible some people will ever read, so maybe you're like God's FaceTime to the world. I know, that's pretty profound. (laughs) But are you getting what I'm saying? How are we supposed to hear God's voice if we're being conformed into this, yeah, Facebook's yelling in my ear, and so is Snapchat, and so is eBay, and so is Angry Birds. How am I supposed to hear God in the midst of all this noise? Yeah, that is the question, isn't it? So what can we do? (laughs) I got to speak to the Alberta Homeschoolers' Convention. This was one of the best audiences I've ever talked to. 600 homeschooling parents at one time, in one room. It was terrific, I loved it. They're the most enthusiastic audience, way better than you. (laughs) Oh, snap again. Um, And, like, uh, they just be, because they agree with this stuff already, right? Because they don't let their kids use devices except for school, work, etc. Sorry, I'm kind of animated when I speak. And, and so, I told them, here's your goal. As parents, your goal is to make your kids as bored as possible, as often as possible. Really? That's the best you can come up with? Yeah, boredom. Okay, when I was a kid, here's here's the antidote to this technology problem. It's called boredom. And it's a word that's only existed for 150 years. Because before that, people actually had to plow their own fields. And they weren't bored. Do you realize, like, lawns weren't a thing? I just learned this. this is so fascinating. Like, we like lawns in the middle class now. Because it makes us feel like, do you know who had first lawns? It's it's the high classes. Because a lawn is a technology, right? Have you realized how much technology it takes to make your lawn nice? It's not a natural thing. Weeds are natural. Dandelions are natural. Lawns are not. You just come look at mine, I'll show you a natural lawn. (laughs) Why did the upper classes like lawns? Because it proved they had the leisure time. They were bored enough for them. You know your neighbor who I'm talking, in fact, some of you are that neighbor. <laughs> I'm not bored, I got a lawn. So I go to my dad when I was a kid, and I'd say, Dad, I'm bored. And he'd say, boredom is a choice. What does that even mean? Tell me something to do, Dad. Boredom is a choice. Now my girls are starting to say it. Dad, I'm bored. Boredom is a choice, like I came up with it. right? So we want to teach our kids not to just be entertained by screens, but to come up with useful ideas and build their creativity that's not easy, because the problem with these screens is that they're too easy. They're just immediately rewarding. When I was a kid, the greatest danger to my, like, maturity was microwaves. Do you remember how big of a deal microwaves were when they first came out? I just remember people saying to me, oh, I don't like the microwaves and the fast food because it's rewarding this immediate gratification. And immediate gratification was the greatest threat to my maturity. Now, though, I'm afraid that it's gone from immediate gratification being the greatest threat to constant gratification. See, if you get bored of one app, there's a million more in the app store. So that I'm afraid, kids now, unless you deny them screen time, I'm afraid that they don't know what it means to be bored. We've lost the feeling of boredom, and, and there's value in boredom, isn't there? You're like, I'm bored right now, Josh. <laughs> do you get it? When, when do I get my best ideas? Or maybe when I'm driving and I don't have music on. Maybe when I'm in the shower, maybe when I'm trying to sleep at night. But it's not usually when I'm trying to do the thing that generates the good ideas. Do you relate? Boredom has value, and more and more scholars are saying that. It's important to feel bored. It's actually part of what makes us human. So how do we make our kids bored more often? How do we make ourselves bored more often? Okay, I could give you like a dozen commandments, even up Moses. But I'm not going to do that today. I was asked to speak about tech and the family, and I could talk about filters on your routers or getting the Disney circle, which you should. But I, I could talk about all sorts of ideas and rules. But Paul didn't do that, right? He said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling." He said, renew your mind. How do we do that? We need to quiet down enough so that we can hear God's voice. So here's the only rule I'm going to give you today. If you could practice this one thing as a family, I think you'll be about... 10 miles, maybe 100 miles ahead of many of your peers. Here's the rule it comes from this book. Oh, yeah, we're going to skip that one. Um, I totally forgot to do something. I was going to give you all a marshmallow. <laughs> now I have like four bags of marshmallows. What am I going to do with that? <laughs> so random. It <laughs> you know what? I, I think you're right about that. Um, I need to, I need four helpers. It's still a quarter to twelve, we're good. I need four helpers. Come pass these around. Don't spill the marshmallows. Okay, it's not as bad as grape juice, but we don't need a big mess. Okay. Who else? See the bored ones come. <laughs> okay. There's another one here. I don't know if that one's opened. I thought I opened them all. Okay, perfect. Who can handle this one over there? We got we got no marshmallow distributors. See, don't you wish you were in my class? It's always this fun, right, Joel? He's shaking. his that no? <laughs> okay. While we're doing that, this is another good book if you're interested in learning about how to coach your. Teens in regard to technology, Teens and Screens, by Kathy Cook. She's a homeschooler convention speaker, and when I brought her up at the convention, all the homeschoolers were cheering, Kathy's great. See, like I said, they're a better audience than you. And in her book, she says she overheard a conversation. See, this is this is my evidence. This is Mm -hmm. anecdotal, of course, and it's the best I could come (laughs) up with, that kids. They don't even know what it means to be bored. Look at this quote. This was overheard two teenage girls talking in a restaurant. So who knows if it's even true, right? But, but you know what I'm talking about. It bothers me to brush my teeth. I'm serious. It bothers me. I mean, it takes an entire two minutes. And the quote goes on. I wish someone would just invent a technology that could swish and floss and brush my teeth so that I could just stand there and look at my phone. Really? Is this, is this really what we've gotten? In, oh, by the way, don't eat your marshmallow. <laughs> Did you? We know who the instant gratification people are now, don't we? <laughs> okay, the reason we're handing out marshmallows is because of a famous study. Have you heard of the marshmallow study? Get, it's, it's getting famous. You get four-year-olds... And you bring them into a room and you say, here's the deal. You can either have a marshmallow or a pretzel. And then I'm going to leave. And if you don't eat your treat before I come back, then you can have a second one. It's an instant gratification test. Can you delay your gratification? So my original plan was give you all marshmallows at the start of the service and tell you not to eat them the whole time. And see how many of you survived the test. Some of you have already eaten them. (laughs) So we did this to our four-year-old. Like, I like to experiment on my kids. Don't report me to anyone. And we brought Elise in, and we gave her the instructions, and this is how it went. So can we play that video, Ben? Ben? Hi, sweetheart. You did it. Would you yeah. like to have two marshmallows now? Yeah. Alright, we'll get you another one. Good work. Out of you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that cool? Yeah. <laughs> Some of you are like, where's my Big John? <laughs> so here's the result of the study. They take the kids at four years old. They do the marshmallow test with them based on the factor of whether or not they eat the marshmallow during the 10-minute waiting period. Then they track the kids all the way through high school to see how well they do in life. Really? Yeah, that's what people are paid with tax dollars to do. And they they found that the kids that don't eat the marshmallow have less problems with drugs, better grades in school, et cetera, et cetera. Just based on that one thing? Yeah, so I've been doing it with each of my kids. We did it with our second year old, our second eldest. At when she turned four, and she also passed, praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm not sure if my thirdborn will. And what is is a measure of delayed gratification? See, in many ways, I hated my dad as a kid. I'm bored, Dad. It's a choice to be bored. Can I buy that? Well, you should probably delay your gratification. What are you even talking about? And now I get it. Our main goal as parents is not to make our kids' lives fun, It's to make them better people. And similarly, like, when you watch this, does it remind you of Adam and Eve in the garden? It's the one marshmallow you're not allowed to eat. And now it it almost feels to me like in your pocket you carry around a little Garden of Eden test. All the time, are you going to engage this and ignore your kids? Are you going to engage this and ignore the people in, in the room with you? Scholars have such awful words for people who do that. It's like practice disdain. It's like intentionally scorning the people around you and saying, you're less important to me than things that are far away. Uh, is it really that serious? Yes, it is. And, and no, one's, no one's totally innocent. In fact, I'm finding that people my mother's age are actually some of the most guilty. All right? we get together at Christmas time and she's like, everyone needs to put their phone in the tech basket so we can visit and then she's on her phone more than anybody else. (laughs) See, the problem with it is we don't notice it's a problem until it's become a problem. So I want you to say to yourself this morning, do I have a problem with this thing? You'll probably say no. But (laughs) if you're average, you do. And so here's the rule I was going to give to you before we had the big marshmallow experiment. Now, you can eat your marshmallow now, but you're not getting two. Here's the rule, it comes from a book called Tech Wise Family, Andy Crouch. He's a really excellent author, he's one of my favorites, actually. Really recent book, I recommend it to you. In the book he says, here's what we have to do. We don't make rules like, is it good or bad content? That's the wrong question. Is the kid playing a good game or a bad game? No, how much time is the kid playing the game and are they ever bored? That's a better question. So how do we make sure that we get enough boredom in our lives? Vitamin B. We need boredom if we're going to be fully human. He says one hour a day, I'd like to ask for more, but one hour a day, sociologists have proven if you eat supper as a family, three times a week, your kids will be better behaved, less drug use, same as the marshmallow thing. Three times a week is all it takes eating together as a family. What happens if you have a cell phone at the table? Well, probably nothing good. (laughs) Your kids aren't getting the conversation they need. Family time around the table, sacred time. No devices at the table. One hour a day, every day. Can you fight for that, families? Surely you can do that much. One day a week, this is starting to ask of something of you. Could you all turn off your devices on Sundays, maybe? Go out for a big family bike ride or something? I wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, of course you wouldn't. We've all forgotten how to be bored. And then one week a year. Go on vacation, could you leave all the devices? But I have to be in touch with work. Really? Are you that important? <laughs> you might have bigger problems than your cell phone if you can't turn it off for a week. Now, I'm preaching to the choir because I'm, I'm just as bad at this as all of you. But we have to do it. We have to realize, what kind of person am I becoming? How is the tool conforming to me? What, what, what kind of end goal do I want for my life? I'm not going to sit on my deathbed and wish I'd spent five years on my cell phone instead of four. I'm not. Neither are you. So last one. Your life is the sum of what you pay attention to. Again, sitting on my deathbed, I hope there's people there. Not just cell phones. Broken ones. Last thing, if you want to write this down, if you're a young parent and you want more advice... Surely the last thing we need is more rules, but here's some more advice, other resources to employ, Um, tips about technology and apps and filters and all that kind of jazz. JoshTormers.com slash smartfamily. You can write that down and find more resources. So besides that, um, it's been a real privilege being with you this morning, and thank you. Even though I insulted you twice, (laughs) you've been a very good audience, and I appreciate your listening.
0: Thank you, Josh. Now, for if some of those books and uh, things went by, or even this website of Josh's, if that went by too quickly, um, we're going to send that out to you uh, through our carrier pigeon network so that you can all get a hold of that without having to use your devices. Um, no. <laughs> We might even try to use it as we are the masters of Facebook. Uh, We'll try to send that out on our social pipes, et cetera, so that you can get a hold of it if you would would like to have some further reading or study on the topic. But why don't we stand together? We're going to continue in uh, worship. I often pray uh, as we're considering our services that we would have um, listening hearts, uh, sharp keen minds to pay attention, but that uh, near this moment that we would have the courage to be obedient to what God invites us to or calls us to. So I pray if, uh, if God is inviting you to something, if you can feel him kind of nudging you in a certain way about this area, uh, that you do something about it. Make a plan right now. Pull out your devices and get a calendar appointment on it or something. So no, um, I just, again, after we, we sing this song of worship, we will have uh, people available for um, prayer. If maybe this is an area you want to uh, pray with somebody about, our prayer teams will be available uh, to pray with you. Or you can, again, just take time uh, here in this room to pray and uh, um, make your next step of obedience uh, happen.